Hi, I'm Steve Lance, your host of the Capitol Report on NTD News. If you have not done so yet, please hit that subscribe button to stay up to date with all of the latest news coming out of the nation's capital and beyond. And a federal court recently handed down an important ruling on Section 230, which addresses immunity for social media platforms. The Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals ruled that Section 230 does not protect all online publication decisions. What is so significant about this decision? Joining us to discuss Section 230 and online censorship, we have Jason Fick, founder of Social Media Freedom Foundation. Jason Fick, thank you so much for joining us on the Capitol Report. Thank you for having me. Jason, you've been at the center of the battle against uh, big tech censorship. With a new Congress being elected, what direction do you see things headed? Uh, well, actually, there has been a substantial uh, turn of events uh, just recently. Um, the Fourth Circuit Court uh, made a determination in Henderson versus private data that sort of changes everything. Uh, for the longest time now, the Ninth Circuit Court has held that uh, 230C1 protects all publishing decisions. It includes removing content, posting content, and pretty much everything that you can you can say. Um, that was based off of the original case, Zoran versus America Online, which was the first court that actually determined Section 230. What the Fourth Circuit Court did, which was actually the court in which Zoran was originally held, they revisited what's called de novo, means a new. They revisited that that precedent and they reclarified it. And in doing so, what it has done is it has actually created a circuit court conflict between the Ninth Circuit and Fourth Circuit courts. That's very, very important because that a, a circuit court conflict is something that only the Supreme Court can actually handle. So, Jason, if you could just kind of break down um, Section 230, the whole uh, content provider versus uh, publishing versus platform, and how this will directly affect that. So there's a misconception that all publishing, it just universally is protected under Section 230. That is not true. Uh, however, that is actually what the courts have done with it. They've applied it that way. And the reason that they have done that originally was because they said that you can't treat them as a publisher. That's contextually wrong. You cannot treat them as the publisher, which would be another independent publisher. The Fourth Circuit Court has clarified that distinction. And they've said that 230C1 only applies to the basic functionality of a service, meaning they can only be a platform in the protections of 230C1. But as soon as they begin content moderation, that only applies to 230C2. That distinction is critical in the way that it actually applies. And it is something that, you know, for the longest time has not, you know, it's, it's not applied that way. And that's what happened in my circumstance against Facebook. They said that I was treating them as a publisher, but in my circumstance, I was not treating them as the publisher who was me. That it, it's, it's very small, but it's very, very important because now what it does is this, it, it recorrects the way that section 230 should work. But of course, we have this conflict now between the Ninth Circuit and the Fourth Circuit's decision, where hopefully, uh, along with Gonzalez, maybe the Supreme Court will consider our case as well and, and correct the, the, the outcome of Section 230. Now, I have to get your thoughts on Twitter 2.0. What's your assessment thus far into Elon Musk's takeover? Are you uh, optimistic with the current direction? Um, it's good that he's he's revisiting people that are on the site. I would I do actually have a, a bit of a, a gripe to say that you know 
realistically everybody that was removed incorrectly. It shouldn't just be notable people that are that are going one by one. This this should be everybody that was silenced for no reason at all. They were abusing the protections of Section 230, knowing that the courts were simply not let anybody through like they did to me. Now Elon is doing a great job of, of you know starting this up. I mean it's it's a lot of uh, of an undertaking here, but he should also be aware. Now Democrats seem to be gunning for changing Section 230 because it doesn't benefit them in any way. And that's that's really what the poli the political world is doing is, is it's if it benefits them, they're all for it not working correctly or working correctly if it does benefit them in that sense. So what we're trying to sort of convey to everybody is it doesn't matter who owns what site. The reality is, is that any site that has an algorithm that develops content should be responsible for what it develops, suggested posts, sponsored posts, all of that under a correct interpretation of Section 230 should be liable. That has massive implications across the board. I mean, it may be the apocalypse for a lot of these big tech companies, but that's something that the, the courts and the Supreme Court needs to take into account because that's what they've essentially allowed them to do is develop content to the benefit of what they want to provide. That's not how it was originally intended. Jason Fick, really appreciate your insights. The global pandemic ushered in mass lockdowns along with what seemed like near universal vaccine mandates. Most private, federal and state agencies all mandated the vaccine, including the United States military. Our next guest resigned from his post as Lieutenant Colonel in the U.S. Army due to the mandate, and we're happy to have him on to share his story. Lieutenant Colonel Bradley Miller, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, thanks for having me. I'm, I'm really appreciative of the opportunity to talk with you. Absolutely, Colonel. A lot of uh, people might not realize, but the aftermath of the vaccine mandates uh, persists, affecting so many lives, uh, you being one of them. Uh, despite data showing that the vaccine does not stop the spread of the coronavirus, uh, you, Lieutenant Colonel, were a battalion commander, uh, have been forced to resign from your post uh, because of the mandate. If you could, tell us your story. Yeah, so that's true. So I, uh, former Lieutenant Colonel in the Army, I did resign from the Army after 19 years and three months of service, so I did not quite make it to 20. And I resigned uh, after I saw what the DOD leadership was doing with the vaccine mandate. And that was immediately after having been relieved of command. So I was relieved of command in October of 2021, two months after the implementation of the vaccine mandate. And if I could ask you, could you have or did you uh, apply for a religious exemption? I did not. I was a hard refusal, not because I do not have extreme religious objections to these injections. I do. But uh, but in my mind, and this is this is my particular view, not everyone else holds this. But in my mind, having a religious objection in my mind would almost be to con to concede that the shots are safe or to concede that the shots are effective, neither of which I'm willing to concede. So for me, it was not just a matter of the research or the development that went into the production of the shots. But I also just won't concede that they're safe or effective. So for me, even getting to the point where I was willing to entertain some sort of exception was a non-starter for me. The other thing is that I did not want an exception for myself. I was against this mandate from zero to 100. I want it rescinded wholesale. I still want it rescinded wholesale. At no time was I looking for an exception for myself. So just back to your first point, um, when you resigned, you said you were just shy of, of 20 years. Um, do you still get your full benefit package and everything that you should? No, no, I, I did not retire. Um, 
I resigned. I'm not a lieutenant colonel retired. I'm a, I'm a former lieutenant colonel. And I like to say that I'm happily resigned. And, I, and I'll, I'll explain why. So yes, I gave up my command. I gave up my career. I gave up my retirement pension. But I still think I came out a winner because after 19 years of service, I left the Army with my integrity intact and my oath to the Constitution unbroken. Wow, that's really incredible. Um, you know, there's been a lot of talk and, and concern uh, of the term wokeness in, in the military. Do you attribute your challenges, um, you know, pushing back on the vaccine mandate uh, to the so-called wokeness in the military? Uh, yes and no. I, I don't think that the vaccine mandate is a direct outgrowth of the of the wokeness, but I think the two are related. And I think they're both products of a longstanding cultural malaise that is extant in the military and also in society at large. And so what I think that we're seeing in the military is just a reflection of what we're seeing right now um, in our American institutions. Now, the former president in his announcement uh, for his next presidential bid, uh, former President Trump said, if reelected, he would reinstate all members of the military forced out because of the mandates. What's your opinion to that stance, uh, reaction, and would you return? So I think that's the, the only correct action that could be taken. And I also would say um, merely reinstating those who are forced out one way or another is not enough. There needs to be substantial compensation. Also, um, there needs to be accountability for, for those who perpetrated this, um, this malpractice, this misconduct against not just DOD, but also the nation at large. Would I return? That's a great question, and I can't give a definitive yes or no, but I can give a probably not. And that's because what we're seeing here is not a, uh, it's not a singular event. It's, it's the product of the corrosion of institutions over a very long period of time. And while I have nothing against the armed forces, I have nothing against them as an institution. I'm, I'm proud to have served for 19 years. I'm proud to be a West Point graduate. But, uh, but the people that have thoroughly captured these institutions have completely corrupted them. I, I just I don't know that I could return without wholesale realignment of DOD's priorities. Former Lieutenant Colonel Bradley Miller, thank you. Thank you. I just want to thank everybody for listening to this episode. If you enjoy our content, please leave us a rating and a review as it really goes a long way in helping us spread the truth. Until next time, I'm your host, Steve Lance at NTD, and we'll see you soon.